I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Chloe. Chloe, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Chloe. I came to Overeaters Anonymous 15 and a half years ago, and I thought it was the weirdest bunch of people I ever saw. <laughs> there were a couple of things that I heard that first meeting that I thought were absolutely insane that gave me the opinion, and I don't have quite so many opinions today. And sometimes I don't even express them. But um, <laughs> since I'm telling you what it was like and um, what happened and what I'm like now, it's important. Um, the first thing that I heard was somebody said they were a grateful compulsive overeater. And I thought, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I had been 250 pounds, and I could not stop eating. And for someone to be grateful for that, I didn't understand. Today, I am so grateful that I am a compulsive overeater and that there is a place for me. That I don't have to live like I lived with the guilt and the shame and the remorse. And it wasn't all about the food, but until I got rid of the food, I didn't know what else it was about. And that really was the second thing that I didn't like is that your stupid promises said that we will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. And I thought, well, you know, <laughs> I want to shut the door on that. That's not something I want to remember. And today I know that's really, really important for me to remember it I got, or I get to go back. And some of the um, biggest resentments that I had, and well, that's further down the road, though. Let me, let me start with... Um, I bought the books because I'm obedient, and they said buy the books. Um, however, I took them home, and I told my husband how um, weird you all were. And he says, but I said, I bought the books, and he read them all that one, that week, the first week. <laughs> And uh, he said, this is good stuff. I encourage you to go back. <laughs> so, again, I was obedient, and I went back. And um, I went to one meeting a, a week that first year in Simi Valley, which had one tiny little meeting. And I wasn't ready for anything else. You know, I was a lily-white Mormon housewife. And um, it, that was just all that... You know, I, I, in fact, I didn't even know they had other meetings. <laughs> and um, so then my sponsor suggested that I go to another meeting. And, you know, this guy came up and he started to hug me. And I thought that that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> so you can tell, I just wanted to tell you a few things so you know where I come from. Um one of the other things that I heard when I first came here, and let me first qualify and let you know I am a real compulsive overeater. I have six children, and they all had their favorite cookies, and they all had their favorite chips. And so did I. I liked all of their favorites. <laughs> and so when I would make their lunches in the morning, I would eat some of each one as I made the lunches, and then I would lay down on the floor with sugar shock um, because I was going to faint. Um, 
it never dawned on me that that was a little strange or that other people didn't do that because that was just what I did. Um, I had stopped buying cookies because they liked graham crackers and I didn't. However, in my disease, I found out if I put a lot of butter on graham crackers, they weren't so bad. <laughs> and I couldn't stop overeating. And um, the other thing that was insane about my thinking was that um, if no one saw me eat it, it didn't count either. And I did a lot of sneak eating. Um, as a child, I loved babysitting. Number one, it got me out of my crazy house. And they had good food. They really had good food. And one time, um, a lady called my mom and said, you know, your daughter is such a good babysitter, but she eats so much. And that was humiliating. And also, you know, I, I didn't know how she could figure that out because I thought they would think I gave it to the kids. But it wasn't until I had babysitters. You can ask the kids anything. You <laughs> the truth. So... <laughs> I was caught, and I, I am a compulsive overeater. I didn't understand that I was a compulsive overeater. You know, I wanted to be different. I never took the whole cake to the couch to eat it. I, I took a sliver, a slice, and then a slab, and what I got was the slob. And um, I, I had trouble admitting I was a compulsive overeater until when I began abstaining I have five sons, and I always thought they ate it, but it stayed when I began abstaining. And my first abstinence, the first definition I remember for abstinence stays with me because I love it, and it's freedom from excess food and negative thinking. And uh, that doesn't mean that I don't sometimes have extra foods. That doesn't mean sometimes I don't sometimes go to the negative thinking, but I don't stay there and I don't live there. And I do, for the most part, have freedom from excess food and negative thinking. However, for me, abstinence took on new meaning, and that is it's, it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I didn't know that until I began abstaining. And my first abstinence was three binges a day. I had been a grazer. And um, these binges lasted for 10 minutes. And they lasted, I had a breakfast binge, and I had a lunch binge, and I had a dinner binge. And, I, I, you know, I, being disciplined enough to stop after 10 minutes was the best that I could do, and it worked for me. And I thought that I would be as big as a house if I ate, you know, three times, three meals a day. And, and even eating three binges a day, I began losing weight. And for me, it is physical, emotional, and spiritual. And it's as much as how I feel about what I'm eating as it is what I'm eating. And, and I can remember when I first began abstaining. Um, I came in in September. And you know the holiday that's right after that, where the little kids take their bags around and they get all kinds of stuff. And, and I, as the mother, always ate the stuff that wasn't good for them. <laughs> and um, so I, I, you know, wanted the Snickers bar at 10 o'clock, and it was between breakfast and lunch. And I can't tell you whether I ever ate that Snickers bar, but what I can tell you is I didn't eat it at 10 o'clock. And those were the small successes 
that made me believe that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity, that it was the food that I ate that made me fat, that it was the way that I thought about myself and about food that caused me to want extra food. Um, So I began coming to more meetings. And one of the things that I remember hearing early on was that selfishness and self-centeredness, that is the root of our problem. And I'm the Sunday school teacher. I'm the PTA president. I'm the, the wife. I'm the mother. How can I be selfish and self-centered? And the next phrase that my sponsor encouraged me to say, to look at was, well, examine your motives. Why did I do all those things? Well, they were all selfish and self-seeking motives so that I could get you to do what I wanted you to do so that you would like me so that whatever. Selfish and self-centered. And it, the big book also tells me that the solution and the ultimate goal is to fit myself to be a maximum service to God and the people around me for not selfish and self-centered work reasons, but for the good of those around me and for God's good. And if I am clear, if I am abstaining, if I am working the steps, I have that clarity. And it's such a joy to know what it is that God wants me to do. But I have to be asking, I have to be abstinent, and I need sometimes to write about it. And um, in in the last several months, you know, um, I began working the steps. And one, two, and three. Well, two was a little troublesome because I didn't know how insane I was. And um, so how could you be restored if you weren't insane? But abstaining lets you see how insane you are. So then I finally got over that hurdle. And um, that made a decision to turn our will and our lives, my thoughts and my actions, over to the care of God as I understand him. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. But I can remember making a decision to do that. And I can remember that they weren't big things that I felt inspired or prompted or whatever word you want to use, impressed, um, to do. And one of the first ones was write a thank you note. I don't know about you, but when I get a message like that, I immediately say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. Or I don't know where she lives. Or... She's going to think that's really dumb. And so the head just goes and goes. And, you know, when I realized that, I was able to get quiet and say, okay, I've asked for God's direction. I'm going to do it. So I I remember, you know, I I wrote the thank you note. A couple weeks later, I'm in the grocery store, and this woman comes at me, and she's smiling. And I start to go down the other aisle because that's how you got to do, you know, you got to avoid these people. And um, but then I thought, oh, I wrote the thank you note, and so I can I can face her, you know. Now she never knew I that thought I should write it in the first place. I mean, that's insanity, but that's my head goes goes goes, whirling dervish, go go go. And um, so I I greeted her, and she was still smiling, and she says, thank you so much for your note. It came on a day I really needed it. And I thought, you know, there might be something to this. And it wasn't hard. And I began to be more aware of what it was that God wanted me to do sometimes. And sometimes I was aware and sometimes I would fight against it. Um, 
I didn't really like the idea of writing an inventory. I was one who had spent a lot of time looking good. And uh, to tell someone all the things that I had been hiding was not a happy prospect. But I saw how it worked for my sponsor and for others that I admired. And I decided, okay, I'll write it. And no intention of reading it, but I will write it. <laughs> and by the time that I wrote it, I was glad to, to give it away. However, I can remember the day that I went to my sponsor's home. I cannot tell you how many fast food restaurants there are between Simi Valley and her home in San Fernando Valley. I saw them all, and I didn't stop. And um, it, it, you know, these little awarenesses that I get along the way show me, yes, Chloe, you are a compulsive reader. You earned your chair, and you're changing because there was not any way without God's help that I could not have gone to those places, and I know that. And um, we made a list together, and um, one of the things on the list was um, when I, well, in fact, actually, I don't suggest doing it this way, but this is my story, so this is what I get to tell. Um, I'm not different than most people. Um, I'm kind of a perfectionist. <laughs> and so as I became aware of these amends I needed to make, I made them. You know, I was still on step four, but I was making amends. And by the time that I went to read to her, um, I had made all the amends except one, and I couldn't make that one. And I told her about it. And, you know, I told her about all the rest, too. But I told her about this one. And um, when I was in grade school, my sister and I used to beat up this girl on the way home from school. And <laughs> a sweet thing that I am. <laughs> and uh, I admitted that. And we had all moved from where that was. And she moved a long time ago. And, and I had moved, you know, a long time ago. And she says, well, reread this deck. And it says, um, made direct amends wherever possible except when to do would injure them or others. And she said, are you willing to make amends? And I said, yeah, I really am. And she says, well, don't hit anyone else. And if, if you're willing, <laughs> if you're willing, then that fulfills it. Well, fast forward to uh, the convention in... Um, L.A., you know, I, I kept working the steps, and I think it's really important. When we're reading Step 10, I, in the big book, it talks about continued. In the step, it says continued. That's the first word in it. But in that step, it's continued, continued, continued. There's a lot of things we've got to continue, and I did that. And I also was taught that I got to give service. So uh, the OA uh, region convention was coming up, and I was encouraged to, to go and to say I would do service. Well, you got to remember where I come from, tiny little town, very protected. And when I got my thing back, they wanted me to be a greeter. And 
I don't know you guys and you're still weird. <laughs> and that wasn't a happy prospect either. So, But I, t- I wrote about it like I'd been taught to do. I, I talked to my sponsor about it and she says, well, how long do you have to do it? And I said, 30 minutes. And she says, well, isn't that a minute at a time? And I said, okay. She says, besides, it's my experience that when you get there, Somebody will give you a badge or something, a sash or something that will designate you as a greeter. Do you think that will make it easier? Oh, yeah. They just don't think I'm way out there. So I get there, and um, I reported to the head hugger. (laughs) And she didn't have anything for me. You know, she just told me, take this and go out there. And, you know, I was dying. I you know, I was so glad when five minutes was over and, and I kept looking at my watch and here it's 25 after five and I still survived. And, you know, for me it's been baby steps. And uh, I, I saw this woman from some, you know, the other direction. She was coming, really tall woman. And I, I can remember thinking, oh, good. I don't have to hug her because she's got a, her badge on already. But as she came close, I couldn't help but notice her name. And I only knew one person with that name. And I said, oh, my gosh, are you so-and-so from Salt Lake City, Utah? And she said, I was 25 years ago. And I said, may I speak with you? And I got to offer her the amends for my fourth step. And I know that God could and would if he were sought. When it's time, when we're willing, when we're, you know, I didn't want to be in that position. And yet, it was really important. And I got to be of support to her at a time in her life and make amends when it was very difficult for her and make up for when I caused her other difficulty. Um, in this program, uh, I have only one daughter, and when I came in, she was 16, and she was beginning to date. And I had dated, and I had a husband, and I knew how to do that. And so I was really into her orchestrating her business. And my sponsor said, you know, if you do that, and she makes a choice and it ends up poorly, who's going to be responsible? And <laughs> I didn't like that. So um, I let her choose her own husband. <laughs> and he was too short and he had um, a mustache and, you know, and she doesn't know that I thought that. And she chose him. And you know what? For 13 years, they're really, really happy. And they have five children. And what a delightful relationship they have that I didn't mess up. Um, when she uh, when they began to start a family uh, she lost the first one and what it was like what happened what I'm like now was I was grateful because I was way too young to be a grandmother by then (laughs) I wasn't really grateful I just you know, I'd had a miscarriage or two, and, and I knew it wasn't the end of the world. But I have to admit, there was the selfish, self-centered stuff in there. And when she became pregnant again, she was five months along, and she called me one day, and she said, Mom, the doctor says I need to go to bed because I'm having problems with it. 
but I've got to go to Beverly Hills and I've got to da 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 da. And contrary to my nature, I sponsored her <laughs> because I had learned how to do that in this program. And I said, Bryn, do any of your nursing books show you how big your baby is now? She says, yeah. I said, have you ever known a baby, anybody that had a baby at five months? She says, oh, yeah. So she called me back and she says, I'm going to bed. This, you know, this, if this baby is, you know, not even a pound yet. And I didn't have to put in my fears or my instructions. I get to sponsor and I get that as a, re- a result of working the steps. The main thing that I get is I get to mind my own business. Um, I made a decision. I'm self-employed, and it was um, it, it worked out for me that I wanted to support her in any way I could. She lived in Lancaster at that time, and um, that's an hour away from Simi Valley. And I made the decision to go and visit her once a week and spend the day with her because I knew it would be hard. She's a really high-energy kid. And um, before our relationship had been like shopping and, you know, here and there a little chat and that. But, you know, the seemingly good and the seemingly bad, we got to develop such a, a beautiful relationship during the time of those little weekly visits. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Either would she. And she doesn't know very much about 12 steps. But she knows it's important to me. And one day I, w- I went and uh, she, she moved something. And I didn't think anything about it. So when I sat down, I said, oh, what's this you're making? And she says, oh, I'm glad you saw it. Now I can work on it. And she was making me the serenity prayer in a beautiful embroidered uh, frame. Um, I have beautiful relationships with all my kids today. I had one of them that eloped. That's devastating to a mom. It was to me. You know, how could he do that to me? (laughs) The selfish and self-centeredness comes out once more. But because I had a sponsor and because I happened to be on vacation at the time that I found out, I got to write and get out the hurt and the anger I got to pound that bed on Balboa Island, uh, you know, and by the time that I got to talk to him, my husband had delivered the the information that he had chosen to evoke, and um, which was another gift from God. <laughs> um, by the time that I spoke with him, I was able to say I love you and mean it. And I never once asked him, how could you do that to me? Or what were you thinking? Or, you know, all those other things that I really wanted to know. Um, And were none of my business. And I still don't know. However, I do know that after two years, he called and said, Mom, we're going to get remarried. Would you like to come? And um, I don't have to mess things up today. If I make a mistake, which I do sometimes, I get to admit it and to make amends. Uh, one of my <coughs> one of my favorite stories is about um, I had a in early in program. You know, Christmas was hard for me. 
Um, there's too many expectations. There's too much to do. I used to bake. You know, I didn't cook very much, but I was a really good baker. And uh, I gave that up uh, because I was a really good eater. <laughs> so um, there's still, you know, this year were plenty of things that other people brought, but I don't bake. And this particular year, I didn't even put up the tree. My twins at that time were the youngest, and they were about seven or eight, and they put up the tree. <laughs> it was an interesting tree. <laughs> and I didn't care. You know, I was beginning to reduce and simplify to make it so that I could live peacefully. And my experience has been that often I'm walking down one side of the hall and in trying to, quote, recover, I'll go down the other side of the hall. And if you give me enough time, perhaps I can go down the middle without bouncing off the ceiling. And um, those were some of the things that I, you know, learned to do to just make it easier. So I wrote this list, and I was on a roll. I really was on a roll. Um, I wrote on there I wanted a Chloe candle. That was the scent I liked at that time. And I had bought one for my friend, and it was really lovely. Um, I wrote on there I wanted some sweatpants, and I wanted um, Stephen Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. And then I got into good stuff. I said I wanted um, a cruise and a new car and a new tile for the kitchen. Yeah. And, um, you know, nobody ever came for my list. <laughs> but what happened was that um, around April, I found the list. And I became aware that that Christmas I had received a gift from a friend that um, allowed me to go on a cruise. I really, really wanted to go on a cruise. And I talked to my husband because he got the same numbers on his check. And um, he says, oh, no, I'm going to put it in the stock market, And which I kind of knew anyway. That's how he does, you know, and he would know that I would spend mine because that's how I do. <laughs> but um, I... Uh, I said, well, you know, I really, really want to go. And uh, he says, I really, really don't. So I talked with my sponsor again. I really would encourage you, if you don't have a sponsor for me, you know, she's the one that says, write about it. And she's the one that says, have you asked God about it? And those are her two main jobs. And I have to remember, those are my two main jobs as a sponsor. And also there to teach me how to have relationships with other people, to be honest with them, to um, be honest with myself. Uh, so it's a gift that I have given myself. And if you don't have a sponsor yet, I would encourage you to pray about it and to find somebody. And if it doesn't work out, don't feel bad. You'll learn something anyway. It's always been my experience. Um, but anyway, so I wrote about this, and I decided I really wanted to go. And she says, well... Who, who can you take? And I thought of several people. And so I went to the um, travel agent, and I, I looked, and I saw something I really liked, and I booked it. 
And I went home, and just conversation at dinner, I said, well, I booked my cruise today. And he says, you're really serious about that, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I really am. <laughs> and he says, well, uh, where are you going? And I told him, and um, we started off at Epcot, and he says, oh, I've always wanted to go there. <laughs> and uh, the Mayan ruins in Cozumel, and... He said, wow, that sounds interesting. And, you know, I, the falls at Ocho Rios. And, and he said, wow, well, who's going to go with you? And I says, well, I thought of several people, but you were my first choice. And this is the real, real recovery and the God shot. I says, but why don't you think about it for a couple of days and make sure you really want to go? Because if... I don't know if, if you guys know, but in our relationship, if he doesn't want to, even if he goes, it's not fun. <laughs> so, he decided he wanted to go. And I didn't, I, you know, I just, I, I can remember the peace I had. And, you know, that's what I seek in this program is peace. And that's what I get when I'm not in charge. When, you know, that place where it says in the big book, uh, we became less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. I had so many plans and designs. You've got to tell them right on the right day. You've got to feed them something good first. and You, you know, you just got to manipulate the whole situation and make it come out what you wanted. And I don't have to do that anymore. And it's such a, a joy to both of us. <laughs> um, I really am blessed with a wonderful man. Um, and as I get better, you know... It's like a teepee. When there's two sick people together, and if you're together for a long time, which we've been 39 years now, um, when one person starts to get better, the other one has to get better and stand up on their own self, or they got to fall down. And the, the real um, trick is for me not to get impatient or to kick him when he's down and to give him the dignity that he has given me to grow at his own pace. And that three days, you know, to decide, yes, he wanted to go. He was a changed man. We went to Arthur Murray and took dance lessons before, and we went dancing on the cruise. And You know why? Because nobody knew him. He's rather quiet. And that would not... But it was a wonderful, wonderful time. My favorite phrase in program is let go and let God. What's turned over turns out. And it may not be what I want, but it's going to be better and it's going to be what I need. Always, always. Um, three years ago, um, one of our sons had lived in Texas for 10 years and he decided it was time to move home. And uh, our rule in our house is you can come home for 10 minutes, but, you know, don't unpack. (laughs) 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 But during those 10 minutes that he was there, he got really sick. And that wasn't his plan and it wasn't our plan. And he was allowed to stay. And um, during that time, why this is important is that I kind of let go of myself and I took care of him while he was hospitalized and while he was doing chemo and uh, 
uh, I I let go of all the people that I sponsored. I kept in touch with a sponsor, but I didn't get to as many meetings. And for me, this is a program that I don't get to put on the shelf for any reason. And I gained some weight, and um, I had some back problems, which generally for me are caused from stress. And I thought I was letting go and letting God. But uh, last April, I had a birthday, which I do every April. (laughs) But this one, I didn't like because it was 59, and I felt crappy. And I had felt so wonderful newly abstaining at 50. And I looked good, and I felt good, and I didn't look good, and I didn't feel good last April. And I, I got on my knees, and I said, God, I need to know what you want me to do to change. My experience is if I like what I'm getting, I keep doing what I'm doing. And if I don't like what I'm getting, I have to change. And so I began, began to look for a different sponsor. I began to um, call in my food. I began to wash my face every night, whether I was tired or not. You know, stupid things that make me feel guilty and um, sovereignly. And um, some of the things I started doing were small. Most of them were small, but added up. The cumulative has allowed me since April to take um, to let go of 40 more pounds. And I had not been able to walk because of my back problems. And I said, okay, God, show me what you need me to do. And I went to the physical therapist and I started strengthening and I started swimming. And um, I go in my spa every day, which I had been doing anyway. You know, it wasn't that I just completely let go. It was just that I let go of enough that I couldn't maintain. And in this program, you, we don't maintain. We have to be going uphill or we're going down. Coasting is downhill. So, oh, I left you stranded in the Caribbean. Um, <laughs> let's go back. Uh, anyway, we got home and um, and Around um, a couple of months later, I found my list. Oh, and, and he he said, "Who are you going with?" And I said, "Well, you know, you and uh, you know, you were my first choice." And he says, "Oh, well then, I'll put new tile in the kitchen." He never saw the list, and we have gorgeous new tile in the kitchen. Not only that, when I got home from my trip, this was this is how long ago it was. Uh, friends had just bought a Lexus, and they had a really nice used car and I said what are you going to do with that and she says well we're going to sell it and I said well how much do you want for it and she told me I had enough money to buy that car it was a great car so here I had my cruise my tile all the stuff you know dream on dream on dream on and um, I had uh, things that didn't matter but I had tried to buy that Chloe candle and they didn't make them after Christmas I called the company and couldn't get it well, uh, fast forward about seven years, my friend that I had given it to was ill. And she said, let's not do Christmas gifts. 
And I said, okay. Um, but she gave me a gift, and it was the Chloe candle. She knew not anything about that. I, can, I keep my list because it reminds me. They're physical things, but it reminds me that it's not just the physical things. I, I can remember one time nursing a resentment. And um, I, had, uh, I had someone that called me in the morning, and my buttons were wide open, and she pushed them. And instead of staying in that resentment, I can, I can remember immediately going to my knees and saying, Okay, God, I don't want to live here today. Please show me what you want me to do. And the thing that I felt impressed to do was go for a walk, which was a great idea. So I went for a walk, and while I was walking, I um, felt that I should stop at a friend's house. Well, the head was busy again, and it said, it's too early, you haven't called first. You called her last week, she had had cataract surgery, but she was doing fine. But as I started to pass, I remembered, oh, I made a decision to turn my will and my life my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God as I understand him. So I got to go back and knock at the door. Well, she's a little surprised to see me. And that's okay. I said, well, how are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm going for my checkup today. And um, I said, well, what are you doing with your mom? Well, her mom has Alzheimer's. And she said, well, I'm just going to put her in her wheelchair in my car. But I knew since my husband had had um, since my husband had had cataract surgery earlier, I knew you're not supposed to lift. And I said, what time's your appointment? She says, well, it's at 2 o'clock. So I said, why don't I come here and stay with your mom? Gee, that felt good, you know, until I was continuing my walk. And then the head gets busy again, and it says, oh, now you're not going to get your nap, and you got up so early to get your work done, and, and yeah, da, 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 da. Well, I went home, and I, uh, I showered, and I had my lunch, and I showed up, and her mother, sweet little old lady, said one sentence to me and then fell asleep. So I had my nap. <laughs> you know, everything I think I'm going to lose, I get. And what I got that day was the freedom from the obsession of this resentment. Never even thought about it again. What else I got was the joy of feeling of use to someone else and to God because I had no idea to know those things. That's my experience. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Not a result. The result. That spiritual awakening, if you read back in the appendix, tells us that that is the thing that is necessary for us to change our personality. What was our personality? Selfish and self-centered. What is the personality that we seek? One who is giving. One who is happy to be of service. One who is seeking to know what God's will is, not my own. Um... That would be nice to do a lot, and it is nice to do a lot. And we have that phrase, in fact, um, in the, the 12 and 12, it talks about always 12 steps 
spiritual in nature when practiced as a way of life. You see, I don't get that practice part. I think you've got to do it perfectly as a way of life. But it says that for a reason, and it says it for me. When practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession for compulsive overeating and enable the sufferer to become, get this, good stuff, happily and usefully whole. Not the martyr that did all these things for selfish and self-centered reasons. Not um, wondering what it is I'm supposed to be doing. If there's something I'm supposed to be doing, God works so well in my life. If I'm supposed to have work, I have work. If I don't, if I'm not supposed to be working, there's always something else to be done. And sometimes I even get to go to the beach. I love the beach. And... Um, I think, you know, I, I don't have a charmed life, but what I have is a charmed attitude about life. My son I told you about is well. He got married in November. What a miracle that is. And when he was sick, it became okay, too, as long as I was okay. And um, if you're new to this program, and I welcome the newcomer, and I... And I congratulate those who have taken ships. You know, we're on this journey, and the the world's record for abstinence is 24 hours. You know, one day at a time, it's 24 hours. And um, when I am in a surrendered state, my life is wonderful. If I am critical of others, if I can't get you to do it my way, I get really hungry. And that's, you know, I start making mountains out of molehills, and the mountain appears on my plate. And now I don't have to eat it. It's a, it's a visual to me. You know, something's going on. You need to write about it. You need to pray about it. You need to let that go. And you need to mind your own business. And thank you for letting me share. I understand we have an opportunity for questions. Yes, my friend there in the back. <laughs> Hi, Walter. How do I stay on top of checking my motives? Um, I think my commitment to abstinence allows me to have the clarity that things feel really yucky. Like just yesterday, um, and this is a food issue, but I think it illustrates if I understand what you're asking. Um, I had committed for this salad, but when I and I had everything on the site because you know how we order at restaurants. <laughs> 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 then we we take it home and um, 
in one of the bags there were chips that you're supposed to crumble and put on the salad. Well, I have eaten this salad before and they didn't give me chips and so I didn't, you know, and I don't eat chips today. But they were there. So I, I was eating half of the salad and I put half of the chips on. Well, you know, within about an hour, I was squirrely. And that's what happens to me. When, my, when I'm not clean, and that happens when I don't have a good motive. It happens when I do something that isn't okay with food. That conscious contact, you know, the minute I'm up in the morning on a good day, see, there are bad days uh, when, when I don't do this, but the minute I'm up, I hit the knees. And I, do you know why I do it on my knees? Because I don't want to. I want to do it in my bed. It's warm there. And who needs to be on their knees anyway? But for me, that's another surrender. And I get more in touch with who I'm talking to and what I'm doing. And it's not as rote. Yeah. When did you... When did people tell you uh, on your journey from self-centeredness to humility that you were becoming more humble? I don't remember. Oh, when did I? Uh, when did people begin to acknowledge that I was becoming more humble and less self-centered? I don't remember that exactly. But what I do remember is this friend that gave me the candle back. Uh, She's, by all appearances, um, one of us, but not interested in program. And she said to me one time, don't you ever rush anymore? And so there was a change taking place. And I think the humility comes when I totally recognize that, you know, I know what I really like. And it's only by, and this is a phrase I heard recently that I really like, by my footwork and the grace of God do I change. So um, it is a process for me. And sometimes I'm not very humble. But when I'm not, you know, I don't feel good. When I don't feel good, I don't do good. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Okay, in a relationship, how do we mind our own business, especially if we're having feelings? And um, actually, I'm going through something like that now. This um, friend that I have, uh, the relationship is changing, and I want to sit her down and tell her that she's, you know, abandoning me. (laughs) And the truth is that I get to look at my stuff and I get to talk about it and write about it with somebody else. And um, usually it works out. You know, I don't have to fix it anymore. That's how I mind my own business. I'm 100% responsible for my 50% of a relationship. And I'm not at all responsible for their 50%. But I want to run the whole thing. And so, um, I, through, again, the grace of God, I have been able to let this be the kind of relationship it is. And what it's going to be is none of my business. You know, I want it to be like it used to be. She doesn't. It's okay. 
okay. I know that God has something better. Thanks.